Hello and welcome to episode 501 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Thursday, October 12th. I'm your host, Paul Spore. Flying solo. It has been a minute since I've had a solo episode and I needed to get back on the mic. I had to. And I'm going to make them more frequent now that the season's over. Um, I've eliminated Eno from the show. He's gone. Um, I got rid of Justin. Even though the audio quality was much better and it was great to have a producer, I just said, you know what? There needs to be more focus on me and me alone. So, got rid of those two idiots. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, We're going to do an episode tomorrow with Eno. Uh, Justin, unfortunately, had to evacuate due to the fires out in California. I believe he's going back today to kind of, you know, figure out. Hopefully nothing went terribly wrong with with his house, but he and his family did get out. Uh, for those of you dealing with it, I hope you're staying safe. It just sounds like a terrible situation out there with those fires. I was at Disneyland last uh, Friday, and you know it was great. Had a good time. And then this week, I mean, the pictures from there with the orange sky. I think somebody said uh, it looked like a scene out of Mad Max, and it, and it really did. It was kind of it was kind of eerie, kind of crazy. But I had a good trip. If you can't tell, there's a little bit of uh, residual uh, trip life. Uh, sickness, if you will. Um, I'm sure some of you can't tell the difference. Right? Your voice is always nasally and annoying. What, what, what's the difference? It's a little bit more nasally and annoying. Okay? So there. But again, I had to get back on the mic. I had to talk some baseball. Um, I did deliver what I hope is a treat for y'all when I, uh, when I put out my October starting pitcher rankings. For those of you still in Fantasy League, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I just put the month on all of them to kind of keep track of how they go. So it's the first run of the 2018 starting pitcher rankings, and that's kind of what I'm going to talk about today. Um, I did not really put together a format for the show, so let's see how this goes. <laughs> oh, boy. Let's just dive in, you know? Let's let's just talk about it. And, um, you know, I broke it into tiers like I do, but uh, the 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 labeling of the tiers in season you know must start usually start all that sort of stuff i I got away from that here in the off season because i'm not sure how necessarily useful it is uh so i just went with numbered tiers one through seven or eight how many oh eight yeah and that was just kind of arbitrary uh in terms of how many there were um the break-off points aren't uh, you know I, i did put thought into that but you know I've talked about this now for a couple years. You get to a certain point, and I think it's usually around the 35-40 mark, and then you can go from that spot to, I don't know, sometimes as high as like 90, and there's just not going to be that much separation. And and so, you know, you really start to try to talk about these guys um, – on, on you know in a comparison basis and say well I prefer this you know maybe they maybe they excel at a skill you need you're looking for strikeouts here you're looking for ratios here you got a guy on a good team who um, you know should be set up for more wins there that sort of stuff those become the 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 small splits because I'm looking at it now let's just look at this number forty I put Luis Castillo and number ninety is Steven Matz well if Steven Matz finds some health, and I, I don't get me wrong, I love Luis Castillo. Like we've we've gushed about Luis Castillo all year on this uh, on this show, and I I will be part of the overrating of Luis Castillo. I'm already I'm already calling it that. Like it, it's going to happen because we don't know how the twenty five year old is gonna gonna pitch after a half season. He had fifteen starts. You know, a lot of comparisons to Luis Severino. Well, look what happened to Luis Severino. He had that first call up that was good flopped last year and then was a beast this year um so we don't know kind of what that second season is going to look like for castillo i'm going to be interested in getting shares but prospect growth isn't linear you know it could be a little bit bumpy but uh you you go back to somebody like matt's he was great in his first little sample 2015 then put together a a full-ish season 132 innings uh, of, of quality work in 2016 and then dealt with injuries that just kind of robbed his season this year. It was a bad year all around for, for 66 and two-thirds innings. But he, he finds that health at age 27. Again, I'm not going to – I don't see a way that a healthy Steven Matz doesn't uh, look comparable to what I'm hoping and, and thinking Luis Castillo can do. And that's that's 40 to 90. That's a 50-pitcher 50, 50 split. So um, – 
you know, and I don't say that to fence it or or get away from from ranking guys or anything. I, it just more to highlight that you really shouldn't get too bent out of shape on the number. And let's talk about the individual players and and expectations from them, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, let's go ahead and start at the top. Kind of go through these tiers. You know, we we we've seen it this year. Uh, start a little bit last year with the injuries. Clayton Kershaw has come back to the pack, so he's no longer his own tier. Now, coming back to the pack for him is still an NL best, 231 ERA, and an, a, a league-high 18 wins. By the way, that's interesting. You know, we talk about wins and their uselessness in terms of uh, determining skill. Obviously, they matter for fantasy, but if you if you cite somebody's wins as a reason that they're good or bad... Uh, you, you've done it wrong. By the way, that's, that was tied with three other guys, uh, one of which is in this tier, Corey Kluber, another in the next tier, Carlos Carrasco, and then Jason Vargas. They all had 18 wins. Carrasco and Kluber, or excuse me, uh, Kluber and Kershaw went 18 and 4, Carrasco went 18 and 6, and then Vargas was 18 and 11. So, uh, but yeah, I you know, it, it's not so much the skill that has necessarily brought Kershaw back to the pack because he also led the NL with a 6.7 strikeout-to-walk ratio. He is still unquestionably elite and I think still the number one guy. But the health now two years in a row, 149 and 175 innings the last two years, I think has brought him back to the pack. And so he's no longer his own tier. Not really a big deal. He's still the number one guy for me. But he's joined by Sale, Scherzer, and Kluber. Um, you know, we saw some saw some poor work out of Sale and, and Kluber in the playoffs, particularly Kluber. Two bad starts. One that they were incredibly lucky to win. And then just yesterday, Wednesday, the 11th in, in, in the decisive game five against the Yankees where he just, he just didn't have it. Now, if someone wants to take those two starts and, and put something on them for next year, I, I don't I don't I don't vibe with that. I, I don't I don't really follow that. It was two bad starts. There's no there's no way around them. There's there's no real way to justify them. Two bad starts against a solid offense. That's it. I don't know. Like I I don't know what else to say beyond that. But if the if if we're taking six in the third innings on Kluber and saying it's like the beginning of the end or something, ugh, you lose me there. You, you're definitely gonna lose me a little bit there. Now the one the one concern I guess I, I have is that you know Eno's identified Kluber's fastball as as not being great you know he's had him he's kind of the king of the bad fastball group because when it's off it can really get hammered around it's not an overpowering uh you know 96 mile per hour monster so he doesn't doesn't live off velocity he can pump it up into the mid 90s and above but he sits about 93 92 and a half sort of level um with movement but that's obviously not his best pitch, never has been, and uh, I think it's pretty safe to say at age 31, never will be. That breaking ball, and I, I like to just call it a breaking ball with, with Kluber specifically because it can curve, it can slide. Um, you know, he has a, he gets distinctions for a separate cutter and a separate curveball um, on, our, on our pitch types. Well, I think the curveball itself is almost at least two different pitches it's a curveball and a slider and then the cutter is not just a fast slider in my opinion i think it is a true cutter which has that little bit of a tighter break a little bit of a later break but also lives in a uh you know 88 to 91 velocity band which is kind of ridiculous for a cutter and you know when that slider when, when he slides the breaking ball a little bit more he can run that up there at 86 87 uh the curveball kind of more in the in the low 80s and then of course his change up you know kind of a show me pitch more than anything else five six percent usage so yeah i'm not really fretting over kluber despite the uh despite the god-awful playoff you know he's gonna have to live that down over the over the off season but if you want to tweak his fantasy value because of that then join my league i guess you know that's that trite thing to say whenever he disagrees so, well they're doing that get them in my league I'm going to take their money. No, chill out. Uh, but I got Strasburg in there as well. I got Kershaw, Sales, Scherzer, Kluber, Strasburg. And this was before the the signature game of Strasburg's career yesterday. The game four 
domination of the Cubs after he had like mold poisoning or some crap. I don't even know. You know, I'm I am actually I'm open to the idea that it was a uh, it was a troll by Baker. I, I don't agree with everything Baker does uh, on the field. In fact, I disagree with a lot of it. He has Jason Worth batting two in the decisive game five again. The hell did you watch yesterday that made you think, you know what, let's run this back. I understand sample size and all that. I got sample size if you want it. I'm not just going off of uh, yesterday for Worth. How about his entire season? Um, you know, we're talking about on Twitter. Somebody cited his numbers since June are even worse. Like, like he had a good couple first months, but then since getting back in June, he's just been a nightmare. Um, actually, he missed. Okay, I, he's the guy who. Uh, said since June. Well, he played two games in June and then missed a bunch of times. So just go since he returned. Since late August, Jason Worth has a 512 OPS in 93 plate appearances. Anyway, not here to talk about Jason Worth. Strasburg, what an amazing outing. Uh, it was thought that after the rain delay that they would just still go with Tanner Roark because that's what Baker said. And then all this heat came down on, on Strasburg. You know, he always kind of gets tabbed as you know, being a wuss, like, fair or not, I I don't think it is particularly fair, like, when, I I think it's really something else when people want to say so-and-so is, like, faking an injury or not as hurt as he says, like, that's a tough one. Now, if teammates start saying it or something like that or, like, the training staff, people that, you know, would actually have basis to say it as opposed to just, you know, hating from from their keyboard, Okay, but I don't think we've heard any of that. So the, I think he gets a bit of an unfair rap, and then this was the, just a storm of hatred on Strasburg. Well, then it turns out they, they did the old switcheroo, and he's going to pitch anyway, and he throws seven scoreless, three hits, two walks, 12 strikeouts. The secondary stuff was just unbelievable. He was trusting it. I mean, that was vintage Stras. That was... um as exciting, maybe uh, probably more. It was a playoff game. Obviously, it means a lot more than his his debut against Pittsburgh many moons ago. I think Pittsburgh was a pretty terrible team in 2010. But that I remember the excitement of that game, watching that debut back on uh, June. Uh, I'm looking it up right now. I don't know this offhand. Come on. June 8th of 2010 when he went seven, four hits, two runs, 14 strikeouts, no walks. Obviously, with the stakes being higher, I think this game has a little bit more juice. But it was that same sort of feel where it's like, wow. This is incredible. This is why uh, he's regarded as 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 one of the league's best. And I know he hasn't had, you know, a lot of the seasons to match the hype. He only has one season over 185 innings. Uh, it was 215 back in 2014. He only threw 175 this year, but it was his best year by ERA with a 2.52. And you know he has really good strikeout rates: 10.1, 11, 11.2, 10.5 the last four years, 10.5 for his career. But they're not that, that, that just amazing, you know, twelve plus sort of season that we that we do see from guys. Kluber was at eleven seven this year. Scherzer twelve. Robbie Ray twelve one. Chris Sale twelve nine. There is no season like that for Strasburg outside of the sixty eight inning debut when he when he did twelve point two. And I'm citing the uh, the the K nine because I'm on I'm on Baseball Reference right now. And they don't act. They don't have K percentage uh, readily available there. <clears throat> anyway, so but I, I've got Strasburg there, and part of it is I recognize the innings deficiency in comparison to the league. But only fifteen guys threw two hundred innings this year. You know, I'm gonna get more into this uh, in the off season about hitters, especially in terms of like what determines a full season. But we really have to adjust our expectations. By the way, just just for comparison's sake, back in 2013, we had 36 guys throw 200 innings. So we have less than half that these days. And, you know, so, so Strasburg's 175 is not as painful as it was back in the day when you had so many other guys popping 200, uh, a handful of them popping 220, 230. And they could just really have that big 
advantage over over Strasburg, uh, citing that same 2013 number. Six guys had 220 plus. Uh, Wainwright and Kershaw were at 242 and 236 respectively. We just don't see that anymore. Uh, Sale led the league with 214, and Irvin Santana at 211 and a third was the only other guy over 210. So. I think that boosts somebody like Strasburg and honestly probably mitigates some of that that dip that we're going to give Kershaw for his inning issues related to the injuries. And I do think that the back could become kind of a uh, um, a long-term thing from here on out where it's going to cost him a few starts. Maybe we don't see, but maybe one more 33 start season. And then the rest are kind of like 27 you know, or, or 25 to 30. Uh, out of Kershaw, so um, I think that 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 also raises some guys that we're going to talk about in tiers two and three. Excuse me, because um, if we're not seeing as many guys throw all these innings, then James Paxton, yeah, he he does have an injury issue, and even in this this giant season that we had this year, he didn't get over it. Uh, he threw 136 innings; it was only 15 more than he threw last year, but. If nobody's thrown innings, you know what I mean, relatively speaking. If, if there aren't just tens of guys throwing 150-plus, then I can take Paxton's 136, supplement them. And with pitchers, I think it's easier than, say, hitters. Because when a pitcher's hurt, he's out of the rotation. He's on the DL. You can replace him more readily. With a with a injury-prone player who kind of guts out a buck 40 those 22 games might might be lost in in sporadic little chunks three games here four games there maybe one dl stint here where that you can replace him but it's not necessarily the same with uh as it is with pitchers where i feel like they're you know you you do have some guys okay you got skipped here you got skipped there but a lot of times it's like okay they're on the dl replace them stuff like that so um i do think that that the fact that we're seeing guys be asked to do less innings-wise um, raises the bar, or, or, or excuse me, raises the level, uh, the usefulness of guys who aren't quite making the grade. Now, of course, it does also help the guys who you can feel really confident are going to get those 200 innings. Uh, let's jump into Tier 2 here a little bit. And he doesn't lead it, but Carlos Martinez is in it. And he's, you know, just quietly gone a buck. 79 and two-thirds, 195 and a third, and then 205. So three straight seasons here where he's really he's really going out there for the 30-plus 30, 30 starts. Well, in 2015, he had 29 starts, so that's technically inaccurate. But 29, 31, 32 set hut um, for Carlos Martinez. And so that they're, they're, it is this weird thing where it works both ways. You don't have to ding the guys who... Don't throw a ton of innings as much, but you can also boost the guys who you can feel really confident about getting 200 from. I guess the tough part there, though, is that the second that you start to feel confident about somebody, well, he's a workhorse. He's going to get 200 innings is, is the time that it, it, they, they flop. They get hurt because, oh, they're so steady and, until they're not. But in this tier two, we have uh, Syndergaard. No, no Syndergaard, Justin Verlander, Madison Bumgarner, Jacob deGrom, Carlos Carrasco, Hugh Darvish, Zach Greinke, Carlos Martinez, Luis Severino. Verlander's probably the one I got the most pushback on. I'm obviously, I'm, I'm you know, known as a Verlander homer because I'm a Tigers fan, which, okay, I get that to a degree, but I, I always back it up when I'm, when I'm hyping him up. You know, it's not like I don't, it's not like I just say, oh, I'm a Tigers fan, Verlander's awesome. No, I study. I, I I do the research, and he's got the numbers, right? He has the one bad season that that uh, when he had that core muscle surgery um, in spring training and didn't miss a beat through 206 innings, and we assume that he was healthy throughout. Obviously, he clearly wasn't. It was his worst season. The strikeout rate completely tumbled. He had a 4.54 ERA, a 1.40 WHIP. Duh, he was not himself. But when we talk about guys and we say stuff like uh, 85% of this guy is better than so-and-so, well, this is pretty much what 85% of somebody looks like. 
85% of a guy is still can be useful like it was MLB useful for sure for the Tigers to get 206 innings out of him. It, it, it was a three war. It was 2.9 because he did have a 374 uh, FIP. But you know, it's not as fantasy useful, obviously. I, I think we just throw around something like 80%, 85% of a guy and not really do the math and be like, well, okay, that's actually a pretty significant dent um, if you're going to kind of bring them down that level. But you look at the last two seasons, um, and actually really the last three, because he did miss time, Verlander did in 2015, but then he came back, had a few wobbly starts to at the very beginning, rediscovered his high fastball and took off. Then had a brilliant year last year, sputtered at the beginning of this year, mostly due to Cleveland. They have his number, so they they tattooed him for a few. There were other bad starts too, but it was really a handful of uh, Cleveland starts again that were holding his ERA back quite a bit. And then he took off again. Same sort of thing. Like he had nine earned at Cleveland in, in April. Um, his current team got him for, for one as well. Six, six earned and five and two thirds. And then Cleveland again on July 2nd, seven runs and three and a third. So he had a 496 ERA through, through his first 17 starts. Well, since that point, actually starting with a Cleveland outing, by the way, he faced them in back-to-back outings. He bounced back in Cleveland, six and a third, excuse me, six and two thirds, one run from that point on 16 starts of a 192 ERA. Hell, you can even take the first Cleveland start there and, and kind of pull it back all the way to start 11 and go from then on. So basically after that Houston outing, after they beat him up in Houston, he put up a 273 ERA for 145 innings. And I get that he's 35 next year, but what are you seeing that has you concerned about him um, in this landscape of pitcher? Right, we don't have a robust group of super reliables. Who doesn't have a flaw on this list? You know, Kershaw has his back. He's the number one guy, and he's got something. I feel like Sale's probably the only guy who you really don't. What, what do you really have there? He's going to be twenty nine, so he's on the right side of thirty. Uh, just had a brilliant season. I don't know. You know, I, I, maybe he should be the number one guy. Maybe, but he still plays in the AL East, in the AL in general, but then in the AL East, uh, in Fenway, you know, I don't know. I just have a hard time putting him as the number one overall. Uh, Max doesn't really have major issues, but starting to get some bumps and bruises and getting up there in age. Going to be 33. Uh, up there in age for baseball, of course. 33 is not old by any stretch. Um. You know, his stats are, are impeccable. He's still through 202 thirds this year. So, you know, okay, maybe he doesn't really have a true red flag there. So maybe maybe it's Sale and Scherzer. Everybody else has got something because Syndergaard and Bumgarner got hurt this year. Bumgarner probably would have been one of those guys where you're like, well, he doesn't have anything. But then he jacked his shoulder up. Um, and then, you know, once you get – once you start to get into the 10 and beyond – well, they're down there because they have some something. They either you know they haven't been a stud yet, a full on like two hundred inning stud before, or they have injury issues, or they're getting up there in age, or they play in a spot where it's like okay, that's a little risky, or they've done it one year and you can't really trust them a hundred percent. So it's not like we have a, a ton of super reliable guys. So you look at Verlander, who's thrown 200 plus every season but one in the last what is that 10 years you know what's missing i'll i'll, I'll accept the 35 year old thing and, and just generally being a little bit concerned about a 35 year old but that doesn't that's not an automatic i'm not running away from him because of that so i got him up there you know i got Syndergaard up there too that one was tough because uh, we we haven't seen anything from him in a while outside of those those two quick innings to finish the season. I will say, though, that heartens me a lot. Even though it was not a, a, a giant sample by any stretch, it was the one-inning start and then the two-inning. You know, It was planned that way, by the way. He didn't leave those hurt or anything like that. 
it was it was designed to be quick hitters just to kind of get him out on the mound run it up a little bit get the juices flowing and see what's what but he ended the season on the field and that's huge that's huge by the way interesting note on Syndergaard season obviously only threw 30 in the third across seven starts every start was against a division foe Atlanta Miami at Miami Philly at Washington Washington at Philly that's just an interesting little quirk um I think it was Scott Jenstead who asked me you know would you pay for him up there I don't know. I put him up there. I believe in the rating. I really do. But just because you put somebody at a certain rating doesn't necessarily mean that you would take them there. And I know that might sound weird, but it's, it's not that I would necessarily take people below him. It'd be more of like go somewhere else. You know? Uh, it would be like, okay, I'll draft a different position. First off, I'm not sure how much I'm messing with pitchers up in that range, which is probably going to be the first three rounds that Noah Syndergaard's going to go in. I'm not sure I'm getting in on the pitching there, so maybe it, maybe I got the easy way out on that question anyway. Um, but I, we'll see. You know, th- this is something like, remember his teammate Matt Harvey. Uh, had questions when he was coming back. I think it was when he from the Tommy John, and then he had the big spring training. Every the stuff looked great, and people started jumping back in in full force. Now it didn't work out, so maybe it's dumb to cite that because then if if Syndergaard does that, he might not work out. I know some folks are going to say no Mets, no matter what. They're just going to say I'm out on the Mets training staff. Bye, and I I totally understand that but my point of bringing up the harvey thing was if we see syndergaard go out and be syndergaard in spring his price is going to skyrocket there's no doubt about it syndergaard is the type of guy where people are looking for a reason to take him right now they're cautious but if you get that reason you people are going to dive in not everybody like i said there's going to be some anti-mets pitcher folks and i get it I won't be that guy. There's still, I will still take the Grom. Um, I'll take Mats because he'll be nothing. He won't cost anything. Uh, that's probably it, though. Really, those two, and maybe Syndergaard. You know, we'll see where he falls. We'll see what. We'll see how that one goes. So I'm interested to keep a close eye on that one. Um, you Darvish, I got him at 11 right now. We don't know where he's gonna sign. I'm I'm handicapping the Dodgers right now, though. I think he's just going to stay there. They give him the big deal. And full season in L.A. I think could be really, really nice. So I I still really like, you know, he's he's kind of, he's kind of, um, I don't want to say overlooked. Because it's not like he put up some amazing season and we didn't pay enough attention to his 386 ERA season, 344 with, with L.A., by the way. So he had to, he brought his ERA down going to the NL. No surprise. But uh, the 116 whip, the strikeouts are still there. There's still a lot to love with Darvish. Made 31 starts for the first time since 2013. So looks like he's healthy again. Going to be 31, not 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 ancient by any stretch. If he signs with the Dodgers, I'm I'm in on that. Well, here's the thing though. I don't love guys in the first year of a big deal particularly pitchers especially. It's just a thing for me. Um, there is data that says that they're not they're not overwhelmingly great that first year. It, it's a case-by-case thing, though. The, the composite, Blake Murphy did something for the SP guy in 2016 uh, about it and found that, yeah, they're, they're a little bit worse in that first year. It wasn't overwhelming, like, oh, you must avoid them. But for me, it's just a, it's just a stay away. Um. And that's why I had zero David Price shares this year. Wait, was this his second year in Washington? Uh, Washington in Boston or first year? I'm an idiot. It was. His, I'm. I'm so dumb. Two years ago, I didn't have any shares, and he did throw an MLB high 230 innings, but had a 3.99 ERA. Who was the big pitching signing this past year? I don't even remember. Sweet memory, Paul. But I, I, I laid off on the Zach Greinke, missed that first year, rebounded this year. 
put him in the in the tier two as well. You know, Severino, I, I got him up there in tier two. It's aggressive. I know there's a lot of backers, and I, I didn't really get any heat on it in the comments. Nobody really questioned it, and I get that. But we probably sh- we we probably should be, you know, at least saying okay. Let's not just automatically accept this blindly. Uh, he's gonna be a 24 year old with not only just one great season. That was his only full season in the majors. He had 133 innings before this, and then pops up 193. Um, of of great work, had that terrible wild card game, and then bounced back with a gem in a, what was it, game four against Cleveland. He's got everything. It's all there. Now, I hope he keeps his training regiment. That was a big part of what changed him, cutting weight, becoming more uh, athletic and flexible. That was reported a, a lot. I, I think I actually heard that talk in both the wild card game and the, the, the start. I most recently heard it during the, the start against Cleveland. But I think it was also mentioned in the wild card game. It's definitely been mentioned throughout the year that that was a big part of what spurred Severino. Let's hope that whatever worked there, let, let, let's keep that. Let's keep that regiment going. So, yeah, Tier 2 is interesting. I, I could, I, I'll probably dip in here for, for a guy, for my ace, uh, more often. But Tier 3 is probably where a lot of my aces are going to come from. And then I'm probably going to try to get a couple guys from it. I got Chris Archer in tier three, Aaron Nola, Robbie Ray, James Paxton, Garrett Cole, Marcus Stroman, Jake Arietta, Jose Quintana, Dallas Keuchel, Johnny Cueto, Masahiro Tanaka, David Price this is the big one. Sorry guys. Sonny Gray, Rich Hill, Alex Wood, John Lester, and Kyle Hendricks. Four Cubs in tier three. They're all kind of right there. By the way, I'm probably going to go to tier four after, uh, well, obviously that's the next one, but I'm going to do tier four and then, and then cut it. My voice is killing me right now. And then I'll do the rest uh, on a secondary pod. Because I overestimated my ability to speak right now. But yeah, that tier three is pretty thick. There's a lot of interesting guys there. And there was pushback. on well, how's this guy not in tier two? I think the guy who leads off tier three was was one that surprised. You know, why isn't Chris Archer in tier two? Well, what's he really done to deserve it? We got back-to-back years of 402, 407 ERA. It's in 201 innings. You like that. The strikeouts are uh, massive, 27 and 29% respectively. You like that. But a 124 whip, 126 whip, way too many homers, 1.3, 1. 1.2. Uh, he still doesn't have the the amazing. I mean, 2015 was really good for Archer. 212 innings of a 322. 3 ERA and a 114 whip with another 29% strikeout rate. That's an amazing year. I don't want to sell that short. I guess what I when I said that in my head, I was thinking he doesn't have that that sub three year. You know, that's that's really attainable for guys these days. We see several guys do it every year. He doesn't have that 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 sub three year. These home runs have become just a big issue, and that's going to be the key. If he doesn't figure out a way to keep the ball in the yard more often, he's not going to have it. I'm not sure he's going to have another, you know, sub three and a half ERA, let alone sub three. You can't do it with that sort of home run rate. Now, I need to do further research on this, but I wonder if if some of it is just challenging with the fastball too often. Just thinking, I, I, I got you. I can beat you with this with this 96 mile per hour fastball. And it's like, nah, no, you can't. Velocity is great. I'm never going to eschew velocity and say, oh, I don't, you know, I wish this guy threw slower. But it is not the end all in terms of, it's not a, a guarantor of success. He does use that slider a ton, 40% last year, 44% this year. It could be 29. He's been very healthy. 32, 34, 33, 34 starts the last four years for Archer. But do we start to get worried about the slider usage maybe costing him? So I I put him in tier three. It's still 15th. You know, you could have extended tier two to include Archer, Nola, Ray, and Paxton for me. I like all four of those guys. Um, I didn't. 
for for various reasons. Archer, because we've had the, the two seasons which are solid. They can lead a fantasy rotation, but you have to have depth. You know, when you got one of those other guys, when you got one of the studs above him, you can be a little bit thinner behind him. When you have Archer, your ne- your next guy, you you know, hopefully you got Ray as a breakout. Uh, you know, you got Sonny Gray as as a bounce back. Maybe you found Alex Wood. You know, you you, you got to have that secondary guy right right away to back him up, or you know, three solid guys as opposed to when you got Kershaw, your your next best could be Taiwan Walker and it wouldn't be the end of the world. Um but yeah, Nola is somebody I, I love. Aaron Nola I'm really hyped on. Health has has become a question now. He did he did last longer this year. Seven extra starts, 168 innings uh over last year's 111 in 20 starts. But the skills are awesome. He increased his swinging strike rate. You know, when he first came up, he had a strikeout rate um, that was kind of fueled by called strikes. And I was I was skeptical. I was like, well, how, is this going to last? Can he continue to do this? I don't know. Um, I'm leaning no. So maybe the strikeouts are going to come way down if we don't see a spike in, in swinging strike rate. Well, he's added to it every year. 8-6, 9-6, 10-8. Um, so... Round it up, just go 9, 10, 11%. Um, so he's adding to that, Nola is. I think he's still getting a, a, a good number of called strikes. He has three pitches, fastball, curveball, changeup. Changeup really took a step forward this year. Going to be just 25. I really like Nola. I'm a big, big Nola fan. On a bad team, but that's not going to dissuade me from, from picking him. You know, maybe I'll back him up with somebody on a on a better team or what we will we'll hope is a better team. Obviously, we don't know going into the season that they're going to be a, a good team. Um, just because 6-6 six, six, and 12 wins the last three years, when you're on a bad team, it's it's tough tougher to get the wins. That's a duh. That's an obvious. I've really come around on Robbie Ray. Um, and how could you not, right? I think it's a situation where if you're still super doubting Robbie Ray, my guess, I'm not going to say definitively because we'll get someone in the comments. Uh, excuse me, I have watched him plenty and I still don't like him. But my guess is if you're still really holding out on Robbie Ray, you just haven't watched him a lot. Because I, I, the same flaws are there, right? Still too many homers, still too much hard contact to be blindly comfortable or, or to think that this 289 ERA is a new level for Ray. But if you don't see the upside, if you don't see that a 490 ERA like he had last year is not his true talent by any stretch, I mean, I, I can't help you. I just can't. He's 26 next year. If he starts to, if he starts, if he starts to cut down the homers... And limit this hard contact a little bit. Oh my goodness. He'll get a 289 ERA and earn it, so to speak. And what I mean by that is that his composite or his component numbers will match up. Because even this year with the 289 ERA, Robbie Ray had a 372 fit. And it's because of the homers and the walks. Strikeouts were an NL best 12.1. And the hits per nine were 6.4, which was fantastic. Now that's with the 267 Babbitt. Far and away the best of his career. 376, 311, 352 the last three years for Robbie Ray. And is is a tight it's a tightrope act to allow this much hard contact and try to maintain such a low Babbitt. So there are there are concerns. There are you know, like I was saying earlier, how everybody has something. Everybody has like one of the a flaw to be concerned with. Well, that's his, right? He, you know, he can still get beasted on. Um, and it is weird though that he allows so much hard contact. Robbie Ray does, and yet was able to be so dominant this year. And that I was just concerned. You know, these are these are the metrics that we look at, and and they can be red flags, and we we run away from red flags. So I was not getting Robbie Ray. I'm in right now, but I'm still cautious i'm still smart about it if i'm getting robbie ray i'm backing him up right away right away 
I'm getting Marcus Stroman. I'm getting Sonny Gray. I'm getting Archer. I want somebody else there that's in that same level that if he falls off, I'm okay. Or hopefully, right? Obviously, you can't, you know. But I want to show confidence in both the skills that we saw this year and the raw stuff. I think the raw stuff is there. There was a mechanical change this year that really spurred Robbie Ray. They showed it on one of the telecasts about how he actually sped up his delivery. A lot of times you see guys have to slow down to kind of spur uh, a breakout or, or improve themselves. His was the other way. He kind of sped up. He got a little bit more fluid with his delivery, and it really uh, pushed him to that next level. And you saw it. it through eight starts. I believe they said that uh, it was this eighth start against Pittsburgh where he started to make the change. Like I, I, If I have my dates wrong, uh, pardon me on that. But it was definitely in May when I was watching the game, and they were talking about it. And they were saying, oh, look at him here, and now look at him over these last few. And after the change, well, the, the tough part was after the change, he had three straight road starts. And Robbie Ray's always been a home road guy where he's really great on the road and bad at home. And so he had three road starts at San Diego, at Milwaukee, and at Pittsburgh. Two very friendly venues, two terrible offenses, and at Milwaukee, which they were really good this year. It's a tougher venue. So that that one was a nice little feather in the cap. But the other two, I was kind of like, okay, I, I'm not crapping on the outings, but already a known good road guy facing the Padres and the Pirates in their pitcher-friendly venues, I'm going to need to see more. Well, then he came home. He did. He got the Padres again, but dominated them at home, and then got Milwaukee at home and dominated them. I mean, this he just went on a run. In fact, starting with that at, at San Diego start, his last 20 starts, he had a 2.24 ERA and 159 strikeouts and 116 and two-thirds. So that's pretty excellent. And I will be diving deeper on Ray at some point um, with, with an article to kind of see what it is about the hard contact. Uh, there's If there's one or two things that are really keeping the home run rate elevated. He has just one year of, of good home run rate, 0.63 back in 2015, and then one two four the past year and one two eight this year. And um, for those curious with the Tigers back in 14, it was 1.57. But that was 28 and two-thirds innings. He was a rookie. It was That was all crap. Throw all that out. But the great foundation now that we've seen, you know, two full seasons, uh, one that had the skills but didn't quite get there because of some of his flaws back last year, and then this year where everything came together. And despite walking too many guys at 11%, some of that I think is purposeful though. I think some of it is, you know, would it be nice if he lowered the walk rate? Sure, but I, I bet there would be a corresponding jump in hit rate think some of it when when you're watching him he doesn't give in he'll walk a guy and and start fresh with the next guy we talk about this with michael pineda he always gives in always three one count okay here's a here's a piped fastball okay they were taking that one here's another one i'm not gonna walk you okay cool three run homer sweet sweet mike get healthy mike interested to see pineda when he gets back from tj but you know he always gives in. Robbie Ray doesn't give in. And they got a lot of intriguing names throughout the rest of this tier. By the way, I lied. I'm looking at the clock now. I'm like, uh, my voice is hurting. We're gonna finish here. We're gonna talk. We're gonna finish talking about tier three, but then we'll wrap it up here, and I'll do four, four, five, six, seven, and eight um, when I feel better. Sorry about that. For those of you that were strapping in for a two and a half hour cast, I, the old throat doesn't have it. I'm sorry. Uh, James Paxton is one that, again, I talk about the inning situation, and he once again showed that health is going to be a concern. But with everyone having health issues, or not, not everyone, not everyone, not everyone, not everyone, with so few guys not really going the the 200 or the 180, I'll take his 136 
and I'll figure out the other 50 somewhere. You know? Because he does go on the DL. And he does give you an opportunity to replace him. It doesn't mean that there's going to be a great replacement, right? So if you're in a 10-team league, you're getting Paxton all day because you know that the, the waiver wire is going to be richer and that's someone that you definitely go for because what if he, and I know I keep going hitter to pitcher uh, comparisons and that's not always great, but what if he Giancarlo Stanton's? Because that's why everyone kept taking Giancarlo Stanton because what that year that he stays healthy, he's going to hit 60, y'all. Tons of people said that, right? We were all saying that. We were actually right. I mean, he hit 59, but you know what I mean. We were actually right on one. Now, it took freaking forever. He's eight years into his career, Stanton is. And I'm not saying that we're ever going to get a 200-inning season out of Paxton. But holy hell, what's that going to look like if it does come? You know? A buck 75. I'll take that. That's 40 more innings. So in shallower leagues, you take these guys all day. In deeper leagues, I understand maybe being a little bit more cautious or certainly not stockpiling those sorts of guys and getting, you know, Rich Hill, James Paxton, and um, I don't know who's – Lance McCullers. You don't get all three of them in your 18-team in your, um, mixed league and then wonder what the hell happened to your pitching. You know, because unless you got lucky and found every good breakout on the wire, you're probably in deep crap. If you if, if you have that strategy, but James Paxton, man, I mean, the, the, the talent is unquestioned and I've repeated it a trillion times and I'll continue to, especially as the game changes. I'm going to take the elite skills. Even when health is the missing ingredient. All the time, all the time. Because we don't know enough about health, or certainly we don't know it nearly as much as we think we do, to know, quote-unquote, bold, underline, that this guy's going to get hurt, and to know that this guy's going to stay healthy. So let me bet on skills, and then adjust to the health, for better or worse. Right? I, I do feel pretty confident that we could say that, you know, if you're making a projection for James Paxton that includes more than 150 innings, which he's never done in the majors, by the way, so even that would be high. But if you if you go beyond that, you're just you're doing it wrong. I think you really got to be in that probably right around the range he was this year. You got to start with a projection around 135, 40 innings, and then let anything else kind of be icing on the cake. But maybe you back him up with somebody like Eric Cole, who also made this tier despite a tough year. 426 ERA, 125 whip, but it was in 203 innings. So if he was hurt, it wasn't to the level where he couldn't play. And, you know, we we saw flashes of, of elite Garrett Cole at times. But more often than not, he was maddening. He was truly maddening because because of the great times, the lesser outings are that much more frustrating at least for me because i still feel like this guy has has that level i don't know he maybe he doesn't you know that there there's these soft factors these ones that are these intangibles you know maybe he doesn't have the mentality to be the the ace the 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 bona fide number one starter sort of guy who is a top five guy in the game been hearing that since he was drafted hearing that from scouts personally i personally heard that from more than one scout they say he got all the stuff in the world going to be a, a good major leaguer you know pittsburgh's not going to look back on that one one pick and and think it was a flop but he's probably not going to become a transcendent guy was the, the quote here, and it was due to mentality. Okay. But he is still just 27 next year. And I think a lot of times, you know, we have the Luis Severinos, which are great. But there are plenty of times where we really don't see guys coming to their own until their late 20s. And I remember Scherzer vividly, because obviously because he was a Tiger. 
And so I followed him so closely. And, you know, he he kind of meandered through his mid-20s, showing flashes of brilliance and having these same sorts of maddening seasons until it clicked. And it clicked in 2012. I think 2012 was the year he got demoted briefly, came back, went off. And he's been one of the like three best pitchers in baseball since. I might have the timeline wrong. Maybe it was the year before. Well, actually, I'm going to look it up. You know what? I have the internet. I just got it. I just got the internet. It's awesome. When was that year? He got demoted. He came back. And it was go time from that point on. I can't figure it out. Someone will put it in the comments. Someone will tweet me. What year did that happen? Why can't I remember off the top of my head? When did you get demoted? Oh, you know when it was? I think it was 2010. Yep, it was. He's gone for 15 days. He had a 6.42 ERA through nine starts. They sent him down, gave him a little breather. He comes back in June, busts off 22 starts of a 2.55 ERA. Now, the very next year, he still he still only had a 4.43 ERA. But that 2010 surge quelled some of the questions of, like, is this guy ever going to get it? And then 2012, he went off. And then 2013, he won the Cy Young. Another great year in 14, and we know what he's done with Washington. Now, I'm not, I, I'm not saying that Cole is Max Scherzer because I don't know that there was ever those questions – of mentality for Scherzer. And I'm not even 100% sure that they're fair for Cole. I'm just telling you guys what I've heard, what I've seen, what I've read. You know, I, I don't I don't see a guy out there who like doesn't care. It's not that. But people are different, right? Like we know that, right? We don't have to pretend that every guy is the same. You know, just because their pitch repertoires match doesn't mean that they're the they're the same guy. I'm still holding out hope for, for, for Cole to be the stud. But damn, I look at that 8.4 strikeout rate for his career and only one time at nine back in 2014. And it is a little bit frustrating because when you when you watch him when he's on, he has the stuff to just be so elite with his strikeouts and he's just not. And, you know, he did use the fastball less this year, which is something I've been begging him for. To, to lean on that secondary stuff more often. It went from 67% to 60% this year, and the strikeout rate did go up from 19 to 23. But he was at 24 the two years before that. So it didn't have the desired effect that I wanted it to have. Marcus Stroman is one that uh, I know some I wanted me to have him higher. I love Marcus Stroman. He's a great man. Back-to-back 200-inning seasons, really strong. Um, last year's 437. I think a lot of people saw through that and realized that he was better than a 437 ERA this year. Uh, pretty much does all the same stuff skills-wise, except that his uh, left-on-base rate goes up from 69%, which is nice, but not actually nice. It's nice in one way, but not nice in the other. I'll let you figure that out. It's actually a really bad rate. Um, it went from 69% to 78%. That is literally the only difference in his season. Now, the, that's not just luck. You know, don't just boil it down that simply. First off, that takes away from him this year and lets him off the hook for last year. Is some of it luck-based? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I say it all the time. I hate when people use BABIP and left-on-base rates as luckometers. It's just not the world we live in. It's just not how it works. Not without further investigation. There are times that it works that way. Again, to shift back to hitters, you look at Mookie Betts' season, I think if we did a thorough investigation there, we'd find that an unlucky BABIP is the only difference in his season. Um, He had like a 265 BABIP and that represents the only real difference in Betts' season. Um, but I don't think left on base rate is 
automatically good or a bad luck. But he did get it back up to 78%, and that was a career high for, for a full season. He had a 91% in those 27 innings back in 2015, did Marcus Stroman. But I wonder if there was a, a discernible change that's going to help him kind of keep that up. Otherwise, I think he's going to meander back into the mid-threes. Doesn't have overpowering stuff from a strikeout rate standpoint, but a lot of times that's because Stroman is very comfortable to get a three-pitch ground ball and get out. He has a 10% swinging strike rate. So, you know, that that's not elite, but that's worthy of probably a 22% you know, thereabouts sort of strikeout rate if he could get up there, but that's not where he's at right now. I like Stroman. I'm not sure there's another level, but I also know that there doesn't have to be for him to be very good. And he will be just 27 next year. I think he'll be a little bit quiet. People will just take him. Nobody will ooh and ah, but you'll be very happy with, with Stroman. I mentioned there were four Cubs in tier three. So maybe we'll just talk about the Cubs at large. Although they won't all be Cubs next year. Probably. I don't know. Maybe they will resign Ariana. But maybe getting Quintana was planning for Arietta's departure. And then they'll have Lester Hendricks, Quintana as their top three. And then kind of figure it out with the other two. But I, yeah, I got all four of those guys. I got Arietta, Lester, Quintana, and Hendricks in there. And listen. I I need to take an L on on Hendricks. L ish. Let me let me let me take an L ish. I thought there was no universe where he was going to have a two thirteen ERA again. That was pretty obvious. Um. And I also was pretty adamant that he wouldn't be under three, but he was at three oh three. So I'm definitely not going to pound my chest on that. I do see a three eighty eight FIP, and I'm like, yeah. That's what I was thinking, something like that, mid-threes. But the results are the results, and uh, I, I didn't necessarily have him down for any injury. He did only throw 139 two-thirds, but that wasn't my my uh, pushback on Hendricks. I just thought, you know, we saw, we, we, we've seen the range on this skill set because it's been the same skill set for three years. It's 395 ERA, 213, 303. I just thought it would bounce back a little bit, a bit closer to three, the three ninety five from twenty fifteen for Hendricks. But no, I, I I respect what he's able to do. You know, we all knew he wasn't going to put up another two fifty BABIP. That defense wasn't going to repeat, and he didn't. But he did have an eighty three percent left on base rate, so that mitigated the the six seven to eight one hit per nine rate that he had. And the fact that his home runs went up to 0.7, from 0.7 to 1.1 for Kyle Hendricks. I'm probably still not going to draft him. I'm just, I don't know, man. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a velocityist. Is that a thing? Um, if you, if you don't like guys who only throw 86 miles per hour, are you a velocityist? Because if so, then I'm a velocityist. To a degree. I have low-velocity friends, right? And I don't throw very hard. So maybe I'm a self, self-loathing velocityist. I don't mind somebody that throws like 91, 92. This dude throws 86, though. I'm not drafting Kyle Hendricks. As for the rest of the team, I'm not drafting Jake Arrieta either. I put all these guys here because I believe that they deserve to be in Tier 3. But that's for y'all to draft them. That's for you guys. I did that for you guys. Quintana. I'll draft Quintana. I don't know. I'm kind of I'm kind of amped on Lester after that uh, that relief outing yesterday though too on Wednesday. That was that was studly. That was him saying, "Hey, I had a 433 area this year. It wasn't my best year, but I'm still a freaking beast." And he even threw. He picked off. Um, he picked off Ryan Zimmerman. That was that was cool. I messed with that. That was awesome. Um, but you know, this is another one where it's like the 2.44 ERA last year. We all knew was not going to happen. 
you look at his 341 FIP from last year on Leicester and you say, well, that's what I'm expecting. Maybe I get a little bit lower than that, like a 310, 320 sort of deal. And it was 433. So, again, I'm going to look at that. I see a 410 FIP. I'm going to bring that down a little bit. I'm going to be planning for something like a 370. But he still went 180 and two-thirds. Dude's a workhorse. He's going to be 34. And like I said earlier, they're workhorses until they're not. In fact, his 180 is actually a career low for full seasons. He had some partial seasons in 06, 07. But once he got his career going in 08 with 210, he's only been under 200 in 11, 191, two-thirds. And then this year, 180 180 and two-thirds for Leicester. And I think that was just underperformance. He made 32 starts. So it was just the fact that he wasn't going as deep into games that ate up those innings. And home runs were a big issue. Home runs were such an issue for everybody this year. And that's going to be the big wild card, right? If it's the same league, then obviously we can use this year. But if it, if things drastically change, you know, a lot of the studies, like the Alan Nathan study, the Rob Arthur, Ben Lindbergh, all that sort of stuff, I think the bottom line, the, the results were, hey, there's these tiny, almost imperceptible changes on the manufacturing of the balls that have led to this. Because you can make such minuscule changes that can affect the flight, you know, five to eight feet. And those extra feet are getting all these extra homers, right? So what if they recalibrate the equipment and we lose those five to eight feet? Well, that's going to change a lot. So we don't really know. I think we got to go in expecting some homers, maybe not to this same rate. But that's the big issue with a lot of guys this year. And I wonder how many guys, how many pitchers are going to go to the drawing board and try to study and figure out what can I do, what what arsenal change, what location change, what approach change can I make to start limiting homers again? Because I used to be able to do this all day long, pitch at the bottom of the zone where the strike zone was expanding and just own these fools. And now everyone's uppercutting uh, compa- you know, in addition to the ball, in addition to, you know, uh, Weather, being warmer, all these factors, and boom, I'm giving up 1.3 homers per nine like Lester did this year. A career high. If you don't count partial seasons. 1.4 back in 2007 is technically his career high. But this was, I mean, way higher than he'd been. 0. 0.8, 0. 0.7, 0. 0.9, 1.3 for Lester. So yeah, I, I, could get, I think I can get Lester on a relatively fair price. I could see rostering him. Quintana's my dude as far as this team goes, though. Just very quiet. Um, the the whole time he was struggling with the White Sox, I think a lot of us were like, this is not who he is. There's some bad luck here. He's better than this. There's some bad starts, too. Don't get me wrong. When Boston clubbed him for seven runs and two and two-thirds on ten hits, I wasn't like, oh, you know, he didn't really deserve that. He threw a lot better than that. No, I mean, he got his butt kicked. And the start before that, it was eight. Eight, uh, eight earned against Arizona in Arizona. So he gave up 15 runs and two starts, though. He took his ERA from 392 to 560 just with those two starts. But if you looked at everything with the skills, he was clearly better than this, save a hand, uh, three bad starts. There was three really bad starts that were owning um, Jose Quintana. And just before he got traded... He was already starting to turn it around, and then he got with them and 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 took off and, and was a really solid asset for them. 374 ERA and 84 in the third innings with 10.5 strikeouts, so his K's really jumped up too. So I think Quintana will be a really solid asset for the Cubs. Full year in the NL, uh, I'll probably be even targeting him. I love, love Quintana as a number two. Let me get, you know. I don't draft every every league the same, and I said I'm probably going to stay out of the first two tiers more often than not. One of or the first three rounds, I said tier two, I will be in those first three rounds, which will probably compose the the five guys in tier one plus Syndergaard, Bumgarner, Degrom, maybe Carrasco and Darvish. But once that once that you know happens, I'll I'll start jumping in. But there's going to be some league where I'm like, you know what? Let me just get Strasburg and then go Strasburg, Quintana. Let me just get Scherzer and go Scherzer, Quintana. Something like that. That'll be nice. That'll be nice. I'll definitely mess with that. I got Rich Hill in here under the same principle as, you know, the Paxton and the other injury guy. The same thing, right? He's 
We talked about this last year with him, not because the league was falling back in innings, just because of how good his innings will be. You know, we saw what he did in 110 in the third innings last year. We're like, well, you know, he's so good when he pitches that you just kind of deal with the the lack of innings. Well, he wasn't the same this year. His ERA went up 1.2, and he was still very good. That's how amazing he was last year. Rich Hill put up a 332 ERA and a 109 whip in 135 and two-thirds innings with a 30% strikeout rate. And that's with some tough times. There were some lean times where it's like, ooh, is this the beginning of the end? Because every time Rich Hill has a bad start, there are 712 blister jokes and 842 million old jokes. And I like to make both, by the way. So I'm not throwing stones here. Those are good jokes. We have to keep using them. But it wasn't the beginning of the end, and the blisters got under control, at least for the second half, because from July 1st on, he had a 264 ERA in 15 starts, 88 and two-thirds with 116 strikeouts. I mean, this dude's going to be 38 next year, but he's still balling. I will take him. I will, because I don't even think. I got him slotted 28th. I think you can still get him in the 30s among starters. I do. So that's what I'll be looking. Teammate uh, Alex Wood is going to be a really interesting one, right? Because he had that amazing breakout season, and it was backed by skill changes, pitch improvements, velocity spike. You know, it was all there in in the numbers. Um, You know, there's a split 332 FIP versus the 272 ERA. So, you know, it's not like he was perfectly aligned to his FIP. But nothing jumped out and said, well, oh, this is completely unbelievable. Although I am just realizing this. I kind of lost sight of my guess in the second half. I didn't realize that his strikeout rate fell so much. Hmm. Another guy who warrants some additional um, investigation here. In case you haven't noticed, we're kind of uh, meandering through October here as far as the Rotograph site goes. A couple articles a day, nothing crazy. That's by design. Give the guys a break, decompress. And then we're going to get back in, uh, at it in earnest uh, late October, early November. Arizona Fall League trip on November 2nd. I'll be back the 5th. That Monday, which is the 6th, I think we'll, we'll kind of kick off everything. I've got some plans. Going to be talking with the, with the crew. Uh, so keep that in mind. It is going to be a little bit light even for the rest of the month. I'm not – it's kind of like loose deadlines if they can get some – you know. That's by design, and it will amp up um, once the once the World Series ends and everything. So, anyway, I'm going to go ahead and cap it here. Uh, if you have questions about any of the guys in the first three tiers, go ahead and put them in the comments. I'll definitely answer when I get a chance, and then I will do another solo pod talking about the rest of the tiers when my voice is a little bit uh, more suited to it, so that I can go in because we, you know, this list was a uh, well, 111 pitchers. And we're only 31 deep. Now, I'm, not, I'm obviously not talking about every single one, but uh, you know, we're going to talk about plenty of them. And I might even circle back on some of these Tier 3 guys, like Price, Tanaka, Cueto. In fact, if you put questions in about them, about whomever you want in the top three tiers, maybe I'll answer them to open the next solo pod. Maybe we'll do that. Anyway, I appreciate y'all listening. Eno and I should be back with Justin tomorrow. That's Friday the 13th. Ooh, spooky. Um... But yeah, I'll talk to you then. Peace.